when will I not be new anymore? Is that never? This is like my second, I was just thinking about this, this is my second year. Like this weekend was, uh, was like two years, two years. In two years! That's crazy, that's crazy. Good morning everybody. If you didn't know, my name is uh, Scott Irwin, I'm the director of Campus Life here at Bethel HP, I oversee Verge, I see some Verge students out there, Faith, what's going on? How's your job going? Good. Faith just got a new job in Falpo. She works at an ice cream store, and I've heard it's awesome. <laughs> I feel like I'm speaking to the dedicated few here this morning. Thanks so much for being here. I hope everybody still has their fingers. Hope everybody was able to uh, sleep last night. One of the things that uh, Bethany and I realized when we bought a house in Hobart is that there is uh, never a moment not to use fireworks. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo, shoot them off, right? Day after Thanksgiving, shoot them off. Tuesday, shoot them off. Whatever. It was late last night. It was late last night. But we love, we love, we love being here. I'm excited to be here this morning with you guys. And you guys, if you didn't know, you picked a really good Sunday to be here because we are starting a brand new series here at Bethel. Next few weeks, we are going to be talking about what it means to follow Jesus specifically here at Bethel Church. What are these different um, priorities? What are the things in our life that we should focus on, that we should look at, that we should raise up and consider because we are followers of Jesus Christ and specifically because we are followers of Jesus Christ here in Northwest Indiana? And so today is day one of that new series. What should the life of someone who professes Christ look like in the context of our community? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. And, and I think that this is a really timely series for us. The uh, past few months have been a little chaotic, to say the least. And the next few months, I am sure, will be similar. And when there is chaos, there is often division. When there is chaos, there is often confusion. And where there is confusion and chaos and division... The devil is running rampant, and I think he has been running amok these past few months, sowing discord and dissent. And this morning, I want to look at uh, one arrow in the devil's quiver that he uses to sow discord and dissent and distrust, and that is lies. Lies. And lies are really interesting things. They can be obvious. I was reading a few uh, weeks ago about a mother who, I think it was on Twitter, she was thanking whoever taught her three-year-old daughter that her eyes changed colors when she lied because now whenever her daughter lies, she closes her eyes. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, thank you to whoever, whoever did that. Lies can be super obvious, but I think other times lies can be subtle and they can be sticky, you can find yourself in a lie that's difficult to get out of, and when we live in lies long enough, they can become our reality. Because lies are not just words that are spoken, but they are foundations on which we can build our lives, where we place our hope and our faith. And scripture has something to say about those things that we place our faith and our hope in that is not God. Scripture calls those idols. They are false gods that promise fullness. They promise peace. 
They promise life, but they have no power to back them up. They are lies, and they have a way of keeping you in their influence. They have a way of setting you apart, and they have a way of taking you places you never thought you could go. If you let them, lies can change absolutely everything. A few years ago, uh, when I was in college, I had a friend who was uh, one of the most intelligent people that I have ever met. He was awesome. He was a ton of fun. He was in uh, the engineering program at our school, which was rather difficult, and he was like killing it, absolutely killing it. He was in ROTC. He was in his, uh, he was doing five years at university, and the army was paying for the whole thing. So I was like, this dude's, this dude's got it made, right? This dude's got it made. Well, it was about his second or, or third year, he discovered something really interesting about the computers that were used at the front of the classroom where their, his, his professors would teach their lectures. Well, it turns out that when a computer was logged out of, you could go up to that computer and you could see some of the files out of the account that was previously logged into that computer. And I don't know how he figured this out, but he would go up to uh, these computers and he started messing around and he found um, some leftover files and in these files were uh, test bank questions. Answers, questions for all of the tests that that professor had given. And that's a little tempting, right? That's a little tempting. And the temptation um, overcame him, and so he started going to all these computers at the front of the classroom and pulling all of these test bank answer keys out of these computers. And at first, it just became a way to, to check to make sure that he knew he had the correct answers that he was studying for. But what first became a help later became a crutch and finally became a dependency. And by his fifth year, he was using these test bank answers on all of his classes and in all of his tests. And not only that, but he had brought other people into this ring. Well, in his last semester at Cedarville, he had been living a bit of a lie for the last few years. His last semester at Cedarville, he uh, brazenly went up to a professor and pointed out that this was something that could happen on a computer. He said, hey, look, you can get into some of these files if you log out. And the professor thought that was a little weird. And so he did some research and uh, went back through tests and logins to computers and realized what this uh, student had been doing. Last semester at a private university, he was expelled along with two other students. He was discharged from the army, and he was on the hook for five years of tuition. He had to spend two more years at a different university finishing his degree. My other friends who were in this ring had to leave school and were finishing their degrees at other universities. What they found out at the end of the day was that once they started, it was difficult to stop. And once they started living this lie, it set them apart in a positive way at first and in a negative way once discovered they ended up in places that they never thought they would be. I think more than cheating at school, the enemy is working to turn your eyes 
and your heart away from truth and toward lies. And I think this is really easy to see right now in the chaos of the news and the social media. We have so much information coming at us that is fueled by so much, so much uh, vitriol and, and division. It's difficult to know what to believe. It's difficult to know what to say or how to act. And I think in moments like these, when we are not grounded in truth, as humans, we often respond in the flesh and not in the spirit. And so this morning, we must be reminded of truth and why it's not only important in our church, but also in those things that we ought to be prioritizing as followers of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Because when we are faced with truth, it changes everything. And truth is not found in Facebook posts or Reddit comment threads. It's not found on Fox News or CNN. Society tries to tell us that the newest idea is true or truth is whatever you want it to be, but we know better than that, right? We know better than that. That truth is not new, but truth is universal and timeless and it is found in the God-breathed words of Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning I want to pan out and, and flesh out this idea of truth. So if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to John 17. John 17, we're going to be in verses 12 to 19. We're hopping into um, a prayer. We're hopping into the end of Jesus's life here. This is before his crucifixion, and we're hopping into a prayer that he prays over his disciples, over his disciples that were left to him. These are Jesus' words over them, and they are Jesus' words over you as well. John 17, verses 12 to 19. Words are going to be up on the screen, and uh, would you stand with me as I read this? John 17, 12 to 19. It says this, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world." I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, the book of John was obviously written by the Apostle John. And we're at the end of the book here. And John was very interested, very interested in the idea of truth. He used it uh, regularly throughout his gospel. And his gospel was written to both Jews and to Gentiles. These were just normal people, everyday people, living throughout the Roman Empire. And the culture that they lived in was very interesting. You had the Jews who were um, living among the Gentiles, trying to worship the one true God of the Old Testament. But then you had the Gentiles throughout the, 
the, the Roman Empire who were worshiping a pantheon of gods. A pantheon of gods. And so when John was writing to these people, he wanted them to know the truth that there is one God and he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. He wasn't just another God to tack on to your pantheon. He was actually the God of the Old Testament come to earth and he was, he was so interested and so um, uh, he wanted the people to understand this truth. And it's into this culture of subtle lies and false gods that John wrote. He wanted them to have an encounter with this truth that changes everything. And here in uh, John 17, we're in the middle of one of Jesus' prayers. He is about a day away from his crucifixion. And if you take the time to read the entire chapter here, you can see the, the, the passion and the determination behind Jesus' words. He's, he's praying over these 12 disciples, these 11 disciples who had followed him for years. He's going to be leaving them. And he wants them to continue in truth and he wants them to continue in faith. But he's not just praying over the disciples. He's praying over those who would believe because of their testimony. He's leaving his disciples and he's sending them. He's commissioning them. And don't, don't miss this. He is, he is sending them out, right? He's not taking them with him, right? It wasn't just enough that they believe right then and there and you're done. He was commissioning them for something bigger. And not only is he praying for his disciples, but he is praying specifically for you. If you've ever uh, wondered, you know, where in this book is me? Where am I in this book? You are here in John 17, verse 20. John 17, verse 20, it says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You are the spiritual great, 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 great grandchildren of these apostles because of their testimony to other people who told other people, who told other people, who heard from Jesus and finally came down to you. Spiritual great, great grandchildren. And remember earlier how we were saying Jesus was praying for specific things. He's praying to God that these disciples might, um, you know, be, have these specific things done for them. Um, you know, what's he saying? What's he saying here specifically? Remember how we said earlier that lies have a tendency to keep you? They have a tendency to, to set you apart. And they have a tendency to send you to places that you didn't know you would go. Here in these few verses, we find that the truth does much the same thing. Only it does it better does it for our good, and it does it for God's glory. And so the first thing that Jesus prays for here in verse 12 to 19 is that we might be kept by truth. We are being safeguarded by truth, by the word. And I think you already have kind of an idea of what he's getting at here, being safeguarded by the truth or being kept by truth. If you've ever seen um, one of those YouTube videos of auto insurance fraud, you know what he's talking about. Have you ever seen these? Have you ever seen these? Like, it's just a, a weird video of like a dash cam. You're like, oh, what's going to happen? And for some reason, it's always in Russia. I don't know why. They always have dash cams in Russia, but it's always Russian. And it's this car, and they're driving, and out of nowhere, somebody comes and like jumps on the car and bashes their head on the windshield, 
and they like roll off the car and they're trying to get insurance money, right? Have you ever seen this? Am I the only one that's been down this YouTube rabbit hole? No? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, this happens. This happens out there. And I love it because the person gets out of the car and the person's over there like rolling on the ground and they, they both stand up and they're going at it. And the person who, who jumped on the car thinks they've got some money coming towards them. But eventually, the person who is, is, is driving the car ends up turning and pointing back to their dash cam and says, ha, I got it on camera. I am safeguarded and kept by the truth. I know what happened, right? And then this person like runs off. This person runs off, right? Safeguarded by truth. I think in much the same way, Jesus is praying for your protection. He's praying for your protection. But what, what are we being protected from? What are we being protected from? It's, it's here in uh, verses 12 to 15. I'm going to read it again. It says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name. This is God the Father. Which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That's Judas that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. What do I need protection from as a follower of Jesus Christ? Let's work backwards here. In these few verses, this chunk here, 12 to 15, let's work backwards to see what Jesus is praying for. I think the answer to this question, what do I need protection from, is here in verse 15. We need protection from the evil one. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to destroy. Sounds like something you might need protection from, yeah? Even in the book of John, uh, uh, Jesus talks about this. John 8, 44, he's talking to the Jewish leaders here and he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, I love this, says when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is the liar and the father of lies. You have Satan, the father of lies. You have Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. And this dichotomy runs all the way through the book of John. We see that the main weapon that the devil uses to distract and create chaos is lies. Lies that say that sin is the answer. Or that God is not worthy of my attention. Or that self is most important. But the only reason that we need protection is that we are still in the world, but not of the world. Right? Like I said before, what if Jesus had just uh, come and taken his 12 disciples? He said, hey, I'm leaving. You're coming with me. That's it. That's not what he said. That's not what he did. He left the disciples in the word, in the world, and it says, Jesus says, I, I have given them your word. I, I came from heaven. I've done what I'm supposed to do. I've given them the truth. So we are protected from the evil one because we are still in this world that is ruled by lies. And that's a dangerous place to be. 
right? You thought the most dangerous place to be was your backyard when your husband was controlling the fireworks. The most dangerous place to be is here in a world that is run and filled and dominated by lies when you are walking around knowing the truth. We live in a world consumed by lies, but God's word and God's truth keeps us on the correct path. If you've ever seen a, a tightrope walker, I think you kind of have an understanding of what this is. You know those giant long poles that they hold? And they hold them really low, and they're like 40 feet long, so that they can keep their center of gravity very low and right over the line. I think living today in this world, sometimes it can feel like we're walking a tightrope, right? I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want to lean to the right. I don't want to lean to the, to the left. And, and what we have here is we are being kept by the truth of God. His word and his scripture, it's like that pull that counterbalances us, right? So that we don't fall to the right, we don't fall to the left, but we stay right on that rope that God has called us to walk. And this is what scripture does for us. It keeps us, it's a correcting tool when we stray off the line. But not only are we kept safe by the truth, we are set apart by truth. And Jesus has already mentioned this in verse 14, but we see it again here in verses 16 and 17. He says this, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The truth changes absolutely everything. And here we see that the word of God brings a change. The words that God speaks are true, and the truth changes everything. And you know, this is how life works, right? You know this to be true. You can, you can turn the radio up in your car as much as you want, but that noise means something, right? You can uh, deny it all you want, but those two lines on the pregnancy test mean something, right? The truth changes your attitude, the truth changes absolutely everything and you can't ignore it for long. When the word of God is heard, there is no more excuse. There are no excuses. And it demands a response. And, and that's why here at Bethel we put so much emphasis on the preaching of the word of God. Right? Because it's not the words of man that cause a change in your life. I could stand up here and, and, and talk about how you need to help yourself and love yourself more, but that's not what you need to hear, right? We stand up here and we open the word of God every Sunday and we preach the word of God because this is truth and the truth changes everything. That is why we put so much emphasis on the preaching of the word of God here. Whether you realize it or not, when you heard the word of God, right, that there was salvation from the penalty, the, the power, and the presence of sin, you became responsible. You became responsible to either ignore it or to accept it. You were responsible to respond in repentance, and that repentance did something in you. It changed you. And it took you out of this world spiritually and the Holy Spirit began to work in you to chip away at those lies that you were believing, those things that are not of God and replace them with the fruit of the Spirit. 
verse 17 says that we have been sanctified in the truth. In other words, the truth has set us apart. It has made you different. And it continues to set us apart in a world that's dominated by lies. This truth is not New Age self-help. It is not uh, personal feelings on a subject. Verse 17 says that it's God's word. Your word is truth. We see this in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The word of God, the truth, is actively changing us. But not only are we kept by truth, not only are we set apart by truth, but we are sent to share truth. We see this in the last two verses we're looking at this morning, verses 18 and 19. It says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. We have this example of Jesus coming into the world, a world that uh, rejected him, right? A world that uh, oppressed Jesus. And we... We saw that he shared truth about God and about humanity. And just as Jesus has been sent, so we are sent into this world. And we're not just sent for uh, any reason, right? We're not just sent to be good citizens or uh, good parents or good students. We're sent to show and to share truth. We have Jesus as an example of how to engage with the world and live a life of purpose and meaning, not just blindly wandering through life. And here in verse 19, Jesus is commissioning us, right? He's sending us to do as he did, to go into a world that is opposed to truth, that is opposed to Jesus. It sounds like a job that might need some protection, right? If you are being sent into a hostile world that is dominated and controlled by lies— might be something you need a little bit of protection for, right? And so we're right back up into verse 12. Jesus has already prayed for your protection. He's already prayed uh, uh, for those who would hear the word because of your testimony. We're back up in verse 12. Jesus praying for your protection, that you might be set apart, that we might be sent. Do you see kind of the, the circular nature of these verses here? We are prayed for, we're protected, we're kept, and then we're set apart, and that being set apart, it it makes it dangerous. And not only, we're not just taken out of the world, but we're sent into the world, and so we're sent and we need protection. Maybe I can show you this um, from the eyes of someone who came after Jesus, another disciple. The Apostle Paul prays a similar prayer in 2 Thessalonians, 3, 1 to 5, he prays that the believers of, the, of Thessalonica be kept, kept be um, set apart, and be sent. Let me, let me see if you can, uh, see if you can and follow this. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 to 5. It says, Brothers and sisters, pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored. We have sent, right? Just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil people. Maybe we be kept. And we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. That's set apart. 
We are kept. We are set apart. We are sent. Paul is someone whose entire life was changed because of the truth of Jesus. And he encourages other believers to continue following Jesus. And down the line we go as those who are kept are set apart and sent to those who are kept and set apart and sent by truth. Here at Bethel, we want truth to be a part of our DNA. We unashamedly preach truth and we encourage those who call this place home to prioritize certain things. When you uh, join a group or you join an organization, most of the time you want to know what you're getting into, right? You want to know what you're uh, signing up for when you sign on to that credit card or when you buy that house or when you join that biking group that bikes way too fast for you and you can never keep up. You want to know what you're getting into when you join a group, right? Well, over the next couple months, we're going to let you know what you signed up for when you called Bethel Church your home. Because there are certain things that we want people here to prioritize. We want people to know and to do. Um, we have some expectations for you, and they're the same expectations that Jesus had for his followers. And, and at Bethel, we look at Scripture and we say, all right, what does God call the followers of Jesus Christ to be and to do? And we look at Scripture and say, all right, that is what we are, are called to be and to do. And so there are a few things that uh, we expect those who belong to Bethel to prioritize in their life because it's what God called followers of Jesus to prioritize in their life. These four things. These are priorities in a disciple's life. The first is worship. The second is community. The third is service. And the last is mission. Worship, community, service, mission, four priorities of a disciple's life. And you'll notice these priorities are characterized by certain things, right? At Bethel, we want worship to be characterized by spirit and truth. All right, we want to worship in spirit, but we also want to worship in truth. We want our community to be characterized by truth in love. Service is truth in action. And finally, Mission is grace and truth. And you'll notice a common thread through all of these priorities, these four priorities in a disciple's life, which we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, are all centered around truth. Why? Because truth changes everything. What if we took truth out of Bethel? Right? What if we took truth out of Bethel? What if we decided that these four priorities didn't need to be centered around truth, instead uh, these four priorities were just characterized by spirit, love, action, and grace, right? Say you're looking for a church and you say, hey, what are you, what are you all about? What do you expect from me? You said, well, we want, uh, we want there to be spirit, we want there to be love, we want there to be action, and we want there to be grace. So that's not too bad, right? That's not too bad. That's a lot of churchy words. Sounds good to me. Well, when we take truth out of the DNA of our church, we see that we are led astray. Because worship without truth is misguided. Fervent worship of idols is still idolatry. Community with only love is enablement. We can't get together and continually pat each other on the back speaking platitudes. There's no sanctification with only love. And service with just action has no direction. We're like a, a stirred up beehive doing things with no purpose. 
And finally, mission with only grace is simply padding the way to hell. Instead, the priorities of sent people are centered on truth. We're called to worship God in spirit and truth. We're called to live in community with one another in such a way that we show love and we exhort one another to follow Jesus more closely. We serve the church of Christ by using our time, our treasure, and our talents in ways that make sense and that edify the body of Christ. And finally, we share the truth of the gospel of Jesus with grace and truth to a world that is stuck in a web of lies. I want to close by looking back on how John defines truth in his gospel. I told you uh, he's very interested in the idea of truth, and he develops this idea throughout his entire gospel. In John 17, we've been talking about the word of God, as well as truth that keeps, that sets apart, and that sends. And John's been developing this idea throughout his book, beginning in John 1.1. He says this, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. A few verses later, John writes, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. John 14, 6 is Jesus' words about himself. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The word was in the beginning with God. The word came to earth and truth is found in Jesus and only Jesus. You may have already been reading John 17, 12 to 19, the verses we looked at this morning, with the lens that Jesus is the word and that Jesus is truth, but let me summarize it here for you. We are kept by Jesus. We are set apart by Jesus. And we are sent to share Jesus. This morning, I encourage you to go from here making God's truth, Scripture, and the person of Jesus a part of your life and watch it change everything.